Amen. Peace of Christ be with you, Hope College. Hey, before you sit down, share the peace of Christ. Those around, introduce yourself, say hello before you sit. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Don't leave me hanging. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Okay. I have a confession to make. I love to sing. I mean, I really love to sing. I love to sing out loud. I love to sing when no one's around. I like to sing in here, which is a problem, as you just heard, because I can't sing. I have a self-diagnosed issue. It's Norwegian, I think. I call it ARD, acute rhythmic disorder. I can't carry a tune. I can't find a harmony. I can't move comfortably with any form of beat at all. Acute rhythmic disorder is my punishment for being me. But I love it. I confess to you, I love, love to sing. Ever since I was a boy, I'm 10 years old. It's bedtime, and I'm wearing my flannel Star Wars PJs with Luke Skywalker and Dark Vader frozen in a lightsaber struggle for the galaxy. I crawl into bed, and I pull Buddy Dog close to me. He's missing an eye. He's missing an ear. But he's Buddy Dog, so he stays. Once in bed, I pull the covers up to my chin, and once I'm there, I reach up, and I click the Radio Shack AM FM radio that my grandpa Johnson bought for my birthday. Radio was amazing to me, it still is. I turned a button and sound would come out of its little beige box. My dial was set to AM 1000 Como, K-O-M-O, sounds out of Seattle. I would often listen to Paul Harvey and the weather forecast for the next day. I loved hearing about the weather. I still do. But almost every night about 9.17, the voice from the box would say, and now here's all to you gamblers out there. And I knew, I knew they were gonna play it. They would play the song. It was the first full song that I ever memorized by heart. It was the song I loved to sing along to. Over the sound waves of my little hi-fi, I would hear the warm, crackly voice of Kenny Rogers sing The Gambler. It was kind of like an early white man country western rap. On a warm summer's eve, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with The Gambler. We were both too tired to sleep. And in bed in the dark, I would sing along until I got to the chorus, and then my voice would get louder, and I would erupt my little, little body and my little, little voice singing very, very, very loud. You gotta know when to hold them. When to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. You never count your money. Are you sitting at the table? You've been time enough for counting. When the dealing's done, right about then, right about then when I would get to the part 
when I, yeah, when I get to part about the run, my father, my father, who's a good man, would come into my room and say, Trigvi, I love you, son, but it's time to shut that radio off. Please not, try not to sing so loud. Now, I thought my father, who was a good man, was just trying to get me to go to bed on time, and I'm sure that he was, but I have come to believe years later, now that I have children of my own, that he was also trying to silence me, to stop me from singing. But I, I couldn't be stopped. It was impossible. Why? Because <laughs> I love to sing, and I still do. I suffer from art. I have a terrible voice, but it doesn't matter. Trigger's got to sing. I'll sing with the gambler. I'll sing with Radiohead. I'll sing with you. I don't care. I must sing. I would go to church. This is when it got bad. <laughs> the Sunday school class, we would sing together. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. And I'd shine it, I'd shine it, I'd shine it all day long. The kids next to me would snicker, just like you are right now. I would sit in church with my family and belt out, holy, 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 and the Swanson's three pews in front of me would look back with horror. <laughs> Finally, my sister Jill, who is mostly a good person, decided that she had had enough, and she banned the hymn book from my hands for about a decade, crushed, because I thought I could really sing, I really did. I did not have a lot of self-awareness as a little one. I really thought that I could carry a tune. I thought, I thought that my voice mattered. I really did. And the truth of the matter is, is it did. And it does, even though I can't sing. I have a confession. I know that I have a terrible singing voice. I mean, I know it. I hear it now. Some people, some people like, like Kennedy, they have voices that like, like make you believe in God, right? They, like God exists. There's, there's a goodness in the world. And some people like me have a voice that is the apologetic for original sin. It's just, it just doesn't work. But it doesn't matter. I love to sing. I love to sing with you. I love to sing when I'm off key and I love to sing when I'm clumsy. It just doesn't matter because... I'm called to sing. To be a Christian is to be somebody invited into that great vision that we just heard about. And right now in heaven, there's all this singing going on. And I'm called to sing even though that I'm bad at it. Even though I'm not very sophisticated. And I, I'm called. I'm not only called, I, I also think I'm commanded to lift up my voice to lift up my joyful noise, and noise it is. But friends, worship sings. That's the punchline of the message tonight. Worship gathers, centers us around the throne of God, God's supremacy, God's grandeur, his power. And around that throne gathers everything that turns their life towards God. Not everyone turns their life towards God, but to those who do, they press in and gather around the throne. And what do they do when they gather there? We heard it. They sing. They sing songs of praise, of worship. They, they, they can't help themselves. They, they sing. 
The Bible says that day and night without ceasing, they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The four living creatures are all pressing in and day and night, night and day, they can't help but sing. And as soon as they sing, the 24 elders that are sitting on the 24 throws dressed in white robes with golden crowns, they cast their crowns before the throne and they fall before the throne. And what do they do? They, they sing, they sing. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were made. And after this song, there are three more songs that take place. Every time that the people of God gather around the throne that centers our lives, we sing. So one of the things I love about Dimna Chapel and our weekly chapels and our gathering Sunday night is that this is a space that just allows us to get together and sing. I mean, you were so excited tonight, weren't you, when I said, we're just going to sing. You just love that because there's something, there's something primordial about coming before God and what we need to do is simply sing. Worship sings. And this is what is going on in heaven right now. If we pull back the floorboards of reality, we will hear the rhythm and cadence and the words that dance all before the throne. If we turn our ear to listen farther up and further in to the high country of the Trinity, we will hear, I believe, the angels and the archangels and everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth gathered together, fulfilling the cry of Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Sing, sing, sing. If worship does nothing else, we sing to the Lord. I love how Eugene Peterson captures this when he writes, during the act of worship, something has been happening to the worshipers. Minds are cleared, perceptions come into focus, spirits are renewed. As this takes place, ordinary speech, impatient with pedestrian prose dances, is condensed into poetry and then raised into tune. Worship sings. Singing is speech intensified and expanded. Songs gather the voices of men and women and children into a century-tiered choir. Moses sings. Miriam sings, Deborah sings, David sings, Mary sings, Jesus and his disciples sing, Paul and Silas sing. When persons of faith come before the God who is and who was and is to come, they sing songs that are irrepressible. When the people of God get together, when we get together here at Hope College, and we're confronted by a holy God who sits on the throne of grace, we can't help ourselves. We start to sing. And even if you don't have a golden voice like Kennedy, we sing. Even if you got a voice like me, we sing. Because it's not about a performance. It's about worship. It's not about being consumeristic. It's about giving praise to God. My goal this semester is, is to submit our worshiping imaginations, our Christian imaginations, to St. John's theological vision. And our goal is to develop a vision for worship for the rest of your life. We want you to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ so that when you leave Hope College, you are equipped to know how to worship, whether you are in North America or in Asia 
or in South America, whether you're in Seattle or New York or LA or Omaha or Holland, wherever you go, wherever God is calling you, you are called to worship and you are called to sing. Wherever you go to worship, it will center your life. It will gather a new people around that. And when you gather, you will be a people who are being charged to sing. And tonight I wanna to pay attention to this singing to the hymns that are sung and ask what we might learn from the spiritual theology of St. John's vision. And here are just a couple thoughts for us tonight, just a couple. Whenever you're reading the Bible and uh, translating it, interpreting it, never overlook the obvious. First of all, they're singing, right? But one of the things that you wanna notice is that their singing is focused on God, not the singer. All of these songs are focused on the living God. There are five hymns. The first one is about God's character, his holiness. The second one is about his power and might, that God is the creator of all things. The third one is about his redemption, how he ransomed from God saints from every tribe and language and nation. And then the final two are songs of praise and blessing to the, to, to the Lamb of God and to the one who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. But these songs are all focused on the living God on who God is, on what God does. And I think that's instructive for us, not only for our singing, but for our lives. Johann Sebastian Bach, who's often called the supreme religious composer and whose compositions are more often performed and studied um, than, in the, than the music of any other composer, sets a superb example for us. In all of Bach's work, even his secular compositions, Music theology and worship are intertwined, and on many of his compositions, he inscribed the letters I-N-J or S-D-J, which stands for In the Name of Jesus, or the Solio Dei Gloria, all music for the glory of God alone, according to Bach and for the instruction of his neighbors. Whether he was doing a secular piece, whether he was doing um, a, a sacred choral chamber, he would always write I-N-J in the name of Jesus or S-D-J, for the glory of God alone. Wouldn't it be great if we did that with everything we did, every paper that you wrote, INJ or SDJ? Or are you faculty, every lecture you gave, it was actually done for the glory of God and for Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be amazing? Bach understood that when you sing, you pray twice. So everything he created in music, he wanted to be something that would serve the people of God in their prayer and in their worship life. The point of worship is not to be comfortable. It's not to consume. The point of worship is to give glory to God, to be formed and taught by God. Songs that tell a story about God and about what God has done and what he's doing and what he has still promised to do. It's why I still love, I still love singing hymns. Has anyone ever gone to a great hymn sing? Anyone? We'll, we'll, we'll do one, because it's fantastic. You take out the hymns and people just shout out, number 65, number 84, number 733, and you just sing these hymns. And in these old hymns are this wonderful theology. John is a poet. He's a theologian, he's a pastor, and some of our best poetry, some of our best writers are our songwriters, are our poets, putting 
words condensed to rhythm and tune to give glory to God. It's one of the reasons why I love working with Bruce Benedict. I don't know if you know this, but like Bruce is nationally acclaimed in him and uh, songwriting circles. And he's inviting a whole new generation to be creating music here. Our goal here is to sing old songs and new songs and songs that we're creating ourselves. We want to be an incubator at Hope College, not just in sciences and the humanities and the social sciences. We want to be a place that in our theology, in our singing is a river of life for the church. That's where we're going. That's what we're about here. But everything's got to be focused on God, on who God is, which reminds us that that's where our lives need to be. Singing needs to be focused on God. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, isn't it interesting that the singing is live? It's not pre-recorded. It's not mediated through a screen or a tablet. There's no tapes or videos. It's real voices being lifted up in John's vision. There's no synthetic or virtual reality. There's no mediator. We don't click on the internet to join the worship service. We go to a worship service in person, in the flesh, and lift up our voices. And if you're like me, you lift up your joyful noise. Though it may not be beautiful, it matters that we're here live. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, the myriad of the angels, everything in heaven, on earth, and under the, it's live. It's going on. But they got to be present. They got to show up. And so do you. Don't be content to just worship from a distance. Press in towards the throne with all the other gathering and lift up your voice. God made you with a voice so that we could sing. There's actual studies that say that singing often makes you a healthier and more uh, intellectually alive person. We were made to sing. Why? Because singing is what we will do for eternity. Singing is live. And singing is contagious. That's the third thing. These songs of worship are oddly engaging and they prompt others to join in the chorus. Singing when sung from the heart is contagious. Good singing makes you want to sing. You heard me sing The Gambler and out of sympathy or maybe out of just, you wanted to, it's contagious, you want to jump in. Everything in heaven and on earth and in the sea and all creation is pressing towards the throne and they're singing. It begins with the four, the four living creatures. And then it adds the 24 elders. And then the four and the 24 find each other in the third hymn. And then in the fourth hymn, the four and the 24 and the angels and the myriad of uh, all things press in towards the throne. It's, it builds off each other. It's contagious as they sing. And I think that there's something in here when we come in and we lift up our voices together, it encourages each other to sing, that it's contagious. Our singing needs to be focused on God. Our singing needs to be live. Our singing needs to be done in such a quality that it's contagious. And then finally, our singing is communal. It's about our community. Singing is something we do together, not just alone. It's interesting to me that in this vision of worship, there are no solos. You and I, in faith, are part of this vision. You and I, our faith, are part of called the covenant people of God. We are a community bound by what God has done. And what we are required to do is to sing. 
We don't see solos or spectators in John's worship. We see everything racing towards the throne, everything. And sometimes we need to come together to sing for each other because sometimes it's hard to sing, isn't it? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, there are times when you don't want to sing and you need the community to help you. I remember when I was 22 years old, it's a while ago now, but about your age, I was just getting done with college, just being graduated, and I had been engaged my senior year, and we were making all these plans, Melissa and I, for this future that was undefined. And somewhere in the middle of that year, she got that far away look, and the lives that were supposed to be coming together started to get farther and farther apart, and that relationship ended. There was a ring on the finger. It wasn't even spring. And I was, it, it felt like, like my heart had detonated. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And for the next six months, well, eight months, maybe nine, maybe a year, I was just sad. I was sad because I thought this was the future and it wasn't. I was sad because I missed a friend. I was sad for unrequited love. I was sad. And it was a really hard time to worship when I was sad. I found myself in this little church, a church that had pews like Dimnit, that when you sat down, they creaked, and when you stood up, they creaked. And I always remember that because we would sing a lot in this church, and you would sit down, and you hear the creak, and you stand up, and you'd hear the creak. And it was a lot of older people, and so our voices kind of creaked too. But they were... They were a congregation that took singing seriously, and they sang. And I remember it was a time in my life when I couldn't sing, but I knew I needed to be there with people who could. I know I needed to keep showing up, even though I didn't feel like it myself. And there was one song that we would sing every single week that got me through that season. Subversively, you don't know this, but one of the reasons why we've sung it at the end of every gathering service, because it was one song that just showed up in my life that carried me through. It was the doxology. Every week at a time when I couldn't sing, the pews would creak and people would stand to their feet. And they would start singing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the cascade of all of those voices finding harmony together and then finding that great amen at the end was just enough, just enough. Even though I couldn't sing, they were singing for me. There are times, my friends, when you need to show up to worship for your neighbor. There are times when we gather in, it's not about you consuming something. It is about our community coming together and supporting each other. Whether you got a good voice, a golden voice, you have a voice and God needs it. Your neighbor needs it. I need it. And so what we come in here to do is really, really important for each other. It's almost as if God calls us to be each other's neighbor when we sing. And I think he does. I think he does. Because you see, we are a singing people. I love it when you sing with me. You've got such great voices. In worship, 
we are reminded that our lives are not our own. In worship, we are reminded that we are called to love each other. And when we sing together, that's what we're doing. We come into this space and we begin to sing to the Lord. And so tonight at the gathering for the communion time, we're just gonna sing the communion prayer together. Bruce, Bruce, Brucer, Brucer, Kennedy. They're gonna lead us into this song and then Jennifer's gonna come and give uh, uh, words of institution for us. But tonight, my friends, it's pressing together. And whether you got a great voice, whether you got a voice like mine, just know that God loves to hear you sing. And God loves to hear us sing. And there's something powerful, isn't it, when all of these voices find harmony together. And all of that harmony brings us here to Christ, who is for you and who is with you. In his name, all the people said, amen.